Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. In the 20 years that I've been in the Humphrey Group, one thing has been clear. Companies that have equal representation of men and women perform better. This is at the executive level, the employee level, at the board level. It's just a commonly held fact. And yet, another thing that's been clear is that for 20 years, the number of women in those senior roles has not changed. The pay gap has not changed. And I ask myself, why not? And what's it going to take for us to see some real movement? Because it should happen, and we know that companies and organizations that make that change will benefit. These are the questions I want to ask Jennifer Reynolds. Jennifer, who is my guest on today's episode, is the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Toronto Finance International. It's a private and public partnership whose mission it is to promote and develop Toronto's financial services sector. But in her prior life, and this is when the Humphrey Group and Jennifer first crossed paths, she was the present CEO of Women in Capital Markets. And I'm very proud to say that she helped bring our women's leadership program, taking the stage to many of Canada's largest financial services companies, where we've been had the privilege of helping to support women as they speak up, are heard, and advance their careers. And I had Jennifer on to ask her opinion of why the numbers have remained where they have, what it's going to take to bring about real change, what role leaders have, both women and allies, in advocating for change, and why she's bullish on the future. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jennifer Reynolds. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast. Today we're live here. Normally this is nice because often I do these podcasts remotely. So thank you for coming to the office, Jennifer. No problem at all. So what I want to talk to you about is something that's a cause that's been near and dear to the Humphrey Group's heart and to my heart. It was something my mom was a big champion of for her 30 years in business, which is supporting diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And it's something I know that's been a, a passion and cause of yours. Yes, for a long, long time. Yeah, so maybe let's start there. How did it become a cause for you? Well, I started out my career in the capital markets and clearly a place where gender diversity is an issue, Mm -hmm. uh, remains an issue today. And when I graduated from university way back in 1994, I kind of thought this issue of equality was solved, right? Mm -hmm. And I was going to go out into into, uh, my career and and my peers, female peers were going to go into their careers and we would all populate senior leadership teams and CEO positions just as the men would uh, in equal numbers. And so after 15 years working in the capital markets, I realized that, no, that wasn't the case at all. And that women really weren't moving ahead, not just in the capital markets, but in the corporate world more broadly. Despite being, you know, 50% of the graduates for 30 years, we weren't seeing the progress. And so, you know, I just decided at that point in my career, I was ready to take a deep dive and dedicate a part of my career to really focusing on moving the dial and, and trying to see if we could push forward some real progress within the financial sector, in capital markets specifically, but really the mandate became broader uh, during the time I was at Women in Capital Markets and really moved into this 
real focus on women in leadership, whether that's at the board level or um, in the executive suite. So continues to be a passion of mine in the role I'm in today. Uh, always will be until it's solved. I, it's interesting because when I started at Women in Capital Markets in 2013, I would say to people that my hope was that by the time my daughters graduated university, which is, you know, call it you know, five, six, seven years from now, uh, that this issue would be solved. And uh, I said to a senior woman the other day, you know, I don't know if I'm going to achieve my objective, right. which is a little upsetting yeah. uh, for me. It is. I mean, I, you know, I, I've been in the business world for 20 years and all with the Humphrey Group. And, you know, I've seen the statistics not change really when it comes to representation of women uh, in, in leadership positions. And as you said, you know, financial services are a huge industry that we support but it cuts across all industries. And, and that's despite, I would say, uh, more advocacy, more positive efforts by companies to make change, um, and even an evolution of the dialogue around you know, what's holding women back. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can tell you a lot of the younger women who come through our programs tell us a m much more positive story than the ones who came through 20 years ago. Yes. But yet, you know, those, the pay gap persists the uh, population of women in leadership positions and executive roles on boards all lag. So let me, let me start by asking you, when, when you left and joined women, uh, left the capital markets and joined women in capital markets, mm -hmm. what were some of the broad th things that you saw as standing in the way of the representation uh, and of women in leadership roles? Well, I think at the time we were still sort of put, calling this, you know, women's issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had these affinity groups and a bunch of women would get together. And Women in Capital Markets did a bunch of these too, where it was just women in a room. And we weren't getting men into the room. And, and thankfully that evolved over, you know, that five-year period I was there. We really saw more and more men um, become involved in the dialogue and lead diversity initiatives uh, at the big financial institutions. So that was one barrier that needed to we need, needed to be broken through. Uh, I don't think we've solved yet for that yet, but we do have more and more men who are comfortable try, at least sitting at the table and, and talking about this and trying to make progress. Um, I certainly think, you know, if companies want to go out and recruit 50-50, there's absolutely no problem doing that. Our, I mean, women are 62% of the university graduates today, so if companies can't re recruit 50-50, then that's there's something wrong, that's with, something them. with, the wrong, wrong right. with them for sure. Um, so that, that problem should be easy, I guess. Um, I think the tougher one, both when I was at Women in Capital Markets and today, is why are the women, if we're hiring 50-50, and in many areas we are in financial services, women are overall greater than 50% of, of the workforce. Mm -hmm. Depends on the area you're in, right. of course, it changes. But why aren't we seeing, why aren't there any female CEOs mm -hmm. at a Canadian financial institution? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think we need to think pretty hard about that because something's wrong in the environment. And so to me, that's the toughest nut to crack right now. Like if we, again, another easy problem to solve, if you wanted to go out and make our boards 50-50 today, I assure you there are enough women to populate public company boards and make sure we were, there's enough qualified women. And what's the current representation of women on boards? It's about 14% of public company wow. boards. Yeah. yeah. Big companies are better, uh, you know, low 20s. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality is the, you know, Canadian market is largely made up of small and medium-sized companies. Mm -hmm. So it's great that, you know, 50 or 60 companies are doing a better job, but that doesn't mean that fundamentally gender equality has changed much right. in the in the broader economy, right? right? That, that it's, number. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's got mm -hmm. to move. It can't be 14%. Mm -hmm. um, so I believe that board issue is, again, that's just will. Mm -hmm. you, you can fix that. 
uh, easily. Uh, the tougher nut is how do we get women into the executive suite? What's going wrong? Because even in organizations where we have a leader who, who comes across as very passionate about solving this issue and, and having more women uh, on his leadership team, and I say he because the CEOs are men. Like right you said, now. They, there aren't. Uh, that's the reality. CEOs, right? We're still not seeing the progress that we'd like to see mm-hmm. in, in moving women up. We're seeing some progress in roles like chief human resource right. officer, um, chief legal officer, but more of that operational right. roles, not rather than the P and L roles exactly. and the line executive exactly. roles. Exactly, and th- that's how you get to the CEO chair. You have to have been responsible right. for P and L. And I imagine that your point around the executive roles, it's the preceding roles as well. There yes. isn't the representation for yeah. the line positions. Yeah. I mean, if I when I talk to um, CEOs more broadly, uh, not just financial sector, they say, oh, I've got a really great pipeline of five to eight years, women with five to eight, right. eight years of experience. Uh, and then I'll ask, well, what about the 10 to 15? Hmm. And they don't have that. And so that's what we need to fix. Um, so is that the, yeah, so, that, so we've got this issue. We have a huge... We have the right percentage of women being recruited. We have more women graduating from post-secondary than, than men. And then it hits the kind of mid-career and the, the talent pipeline shrinks. Yeah. And then, so. Or stagnates. Or stagnates. And the dialogue, now you're saying the dialogue has improved in terms of the advocacy and leadership. And yet, so what is it that's causing that disconnect? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it is, it's easy to stand up and give a great speech about diversity. It's even easy to do that three or four times a year, mm-hmm. but it's really living it every single day and then, you know, leading by example, but then forcing all of those around you to do the mm-hmm. same. Um, and not just, you know, at the town hall, but day to day. And that we haven't gotten there. Like that has not, and you know, we're seeing certain diversity metrics be included in people's compensation. Right. But I would argue they're not, um, they're not effective. So the question mm-hmm. is, are they just not significant enough that people care? Right. Um, or are we not really implementing, yeah, are people not really serious about them? So let's imagine that you have, and I'm sure you don't have to imagine this, let's say you have a a conversation with a CEO of a Canadian company, and as you said, a man, and he says, look, Jennifer, I'm I'm totally in agreement with you. We have this issue. We need to get more women representation. I've seen the McKinsey statistics. Everyone knows, you know, more balanced leadership teams result in better performance. Mm -hmm. What should I be doing? What would be the three things that you would say to him that he should start doing that he's obviously not doing yet? Yeah. to address this. Absolutely targets. And this is, you know, whenever you say targets, people... People think quotas. Exactly. Right. They always think quotas. They always think, mm-hmm. oh, well, that means we're going to put a bunch of unqualified mm-hmm. women in chairs. Okay. That narrative must stop. Okay. Everybody needs targets. They need to measure at every single level of the organization from the, you know, that entry level, every single level, all the way up to the CEO, be measuring constantly. And what um, should they be measuring? Representation? Representation. And promotion statistics as well, because that's key, because it's not just a... People often think, oh, all the women are at home having babies. That's what happens mid-career. But they're working. The reality is Canadian women work. And they go back to work. Then they go back to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what's happening is they're stagnating. McKinsey, for instance, showed a study that actually um, retention of women, women stay within organizations at higher rates than men. They just don't get promoted (laughs) at the same rates. That's damning. Um, Yeah, exactly. And so we need to start measuring at each level so that you can sort of see where you're going wrong. And, and, you know, we can probably, every CEO probably is going to have an idea of where it starts to go wrong. But unless you're measuring it constantly, uh, you won't know. And and to give you one example of why that's important, let's say you've got a huge organization with 40,000 employees, and let's say it's the director to VP level. You notice that there was however many... 150 promotions that happened across the organization that year 
uh, from director to VP, and um, your numbers aren't good. Say it's 25% women. And if you go back and analyze each situation, and you found that there was many where it got down to a highly qualified woman and a highly qualified man, and in most, if not all cases, the man won out. Well, then you have to you you kind of have to say to yourself, I've got a broader systemic issue right. here that every the single odds are time, not good that. You know, 75 percent of the men were more effective than, than exactly the women. Right. exactly so then you dig deeper well right. why was there that hmm. per- perception there hmm. um, you know and you can dig into right. bias or, or those types of things right. or but you until know, you're measuring that and it sounds like until you're you're measuring at each step of the career progression it, it's just talk <laughs> yeah and, and I think what happens too is the narrative becomes filled with anecdotes and hmm. not real data if you're not doing that. Um, d- anecdotes like, well, she wanted to spend more time at home. Right, or she couldn't commit the, she, the Exactly, hours, right? she couldn't commit and things like that. When really it was, you know what, I was more comfortable with the person who was more like me. Right. And and we all are, and that's a, not Absolutely. a male thing, that's a female thing, that's a every culture thing. Absolutely. Um, but those challenges, you have to be measuring to really get dig into that. So I would say certainly targets and constant measurement okay. uh, are very, very important. What would and, be the second thing that, that he should do? I think it's a constant communication too. Okay. Um, and, and encouraging people to step up uh, when they see things which are inappropriate. And that can be very hard, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's really easy. Nobody wants to be controversial, right? They can see someone doing something or even saying something in a room where the target of that particular comment isn't there. So why do I have to say anything? Hmm. But the more that people call out things which are inappropriate, the more, you know, I think that starts to change behaviors every day. And what kinds of things, when you talk about calling things out or or communicating constantly, what kinds of things should they be saying? I'll give you a couple of different examples, but Mm -hmm. often... You know, we'll have big diversity events, for instance, and uh, I've heard this many, many times from women that uh, everybody goes back to their desk and some senior person will say, oh, God, I got that over with and roll, roll their eyes, right? right. Well, what wow. does that do? The damage that that does, somebody needs to take that person aside and say, you, all the good that we may have accomplished in the hour of gone. that meeting now is completely gone, right? Um, you know, you've made it clear that you don't care about this and, you know, that's just something we did hmm. in a meeting and we're never going to live right. to so implement. the leader should have proactively communicated to his or her people, this is how you're going to lead here. And then yeah. after, if that still happens, call, taking that person aside. <laughs> yeah. And often, you know, it can be more junior people, too, who can call out more senior people. Mm-hmm. And that's tricky. And I often, um, you know, I still do a lot of speeches on this particular topic. And I have young men say, hey, I do want to help. I, I do, you know, because they've come out of schools where it was very equal, right? And so for them, it's kind of shocking that, they get into the corporate world and they look up top and they go, why isn't it equal and right. what's happening here and why, why are refreshing. the women getting disengaged, right? <laughs> right. Um, and so I think they do actually want to take action, so I think that's important. And early in my career, um, I had a, a young guy who was an analyst, I was the associate, and um, uh, I, there was a golf tournament that happened in our group every year that the managing one of the managing directors threw. And uh, the first year I was there, I wasn't invited and I was a golfer. And uh, the second year, it happened again. And so this young guy that I worked with uh, went to the managing director and said, hey, that's not okay. Jennifer's a golfer. Why isn't she invited? Right. And called him. out the behavior. And, you know, very brave yeah. for a young person right. to do. But he didn't think that was right. take some career risk. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I bring up that example because it was, it meant a lot at the time. Right. And uh, I think, you know, those types of be- actions, are they're not just for senior people. I think, you know, right. people at every level can show leadership. Yes, and I think for, for him, it, 
it wouldn't have had to be career risk if someone at a very senior level of your bank had said, we're committed to inclusion, we're committed to having women in leadership positions. So, so that would have given him support and cover to have that conversation as well. Yeah, and he didn't have that support right, back then. So he then. had to roll the dice. He would today, I think, in that institution. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I hope so. And, so. and what would be the third thing that you would suggest that the CEO starts doing to promote, uh, you know, to move women past these bottlenecks? Sponsorship is something we talk about quite a bit. And can you define it for me? How, yeah, how because often people think it's mentorship, mm -hmm. right? It's not right. just you know having a coffee with some women and giving them some advice about their career. Uh, it's it's being the one who pounds the table for that mm -hmm. person when promotion time comes around. It's um, providing cover if maybe they've messed up on something because we all you it's know going to bat for if them. we're taking risks in our career occasionally we're not going to. Uh, do well in one or two right. of them, right? So you need someone to cover for you um, and, and give you another opportunity to step up to the bat. Uh, and women, you know, there's all kinds of research around this, which I'm sure you've read. We, we generally don't have that type of sponsorship. Yes. And I certainly suffered from that earlier on in my career. And, and uh, you know, women need to be aware that they've got to cultivate that. But, you know, if, if you're a senior um, male and you look down and you think about who are the people I really go to bat right. for? Who do I take the time Spend to, your political to nurture? Capital on. Exactly. Are they men? Are they women? Are they um, people of different ethnicities? Right. Um, you know, all those different questions we need to start asking ourselves because that's the reality of how people get promoted. Right. Um, when we're junior, it's on our technical skills. When we're more senior, that's when it's all relationships. The, the bias mm -hmm. comes in. It's relationships. Absolutely. So yeah, that's very helpful. And you know, I, I want to explore something you just mentioned a bit further. You said. Uh, you know, we've been talking about women in leadership positions, but you also mentioned people of different ethnicities. And I think you know, one of the exciting things I've seen in over my two decades is the broadening of the conversation around diversity, just away from women's advancement to representation of people, visible minorities, mm -hmm. uh, LGBTQ, all sorts of different groups. How have you seen that conversation evolve? And what has that meant for your crusade and your passion in this area? Yeah, I'm, I think it's a, it's very important. It does need to broaden out because, you know, I firmly believe the gender one is one that that's huge because it's 50% of the population, right? Um, but we have to address the full problem because if we're not being inclusive to from a gender perspective, chances are we're probably not being inclusive from many, many other perspectives, right? Uh, and I do think that, you know, particularly in the financial services sector, we have to reflect our customers. And I think every business should reflect their customers. And so if I'm a customer and I happen to look at the executive suite, meet CEOs uh, or see CEOs, I might not meet them if I'm the average customer, and they're all white men right. in a country which, you know, Toronto it's is the most diverse city in, mm -hmm. in the world, actually. Right. And so when you're not reflecting kind of the place that you live, I think that becomes a big problem. So, you know, and I, and I think we're seeing it in, in different levels too from a socio-demographic perspective around the world too. Um, you know, as income inequality uh, increases, um, we need to start thinking about making sure that we have the opportunity for everyone to advance, right? right. It, it, from an economic perspective, from a career perspective. So I think it, that broader conversation is really important right Absolutely. Now. I think, you know, just from a sports standpoint, you know, we had the Raptors win the championship this year. And I think, you know, you saw how the Raptors tapped into the real multiculturalism mm -hmm. of Toronto mm -hmm. and the outpouring of support, you know, as opposed to kind of maybe the old older guard Leafs, which mm -hmm. are more monocultural. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the Raptors, you really saw what Toronto was becoming. I think organizations uh, have to be like the Raptors in the sense that they have diverse populations, they serve a diverse customer base, 
And so, yeah, they have to promote beyond just gender diversity. Yeah, I mean, we see it more with consumer brands, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, but I think everybody needs to be thinking about it because I think it's also co- it go- comes to attracting talent, right? So, you know, the we always hear uh, conversations around talent nowadays that. You know, we can't retain younger people. They come in, they leave, or just generally, people don't stay as long in organizations. And I don't think that's just about the fact that, you know, the workforce is changing and you don't just go work one place and then retire from there. Um, I think a lot of people are going into large organizations and not feeling like they belong. Mm. And so whether it's from a gender perspective or the other elements we were talking about, ethnicity, et cetera. Um, so if you can't keep that great talent, that's a problem for you as a CEO or as a senior leader. Uh, so I think that's another element that uh, that smart leaders are keying in on, that this is about talent too. And if I right. can't keep diverse talent, there's I'm not getting, gonna get the best, right. number one, because look at how diverse our universities are. Walk right. through any university, particularly in Toronto, um, immense diversity. Yeah. So if you're only recruiting one tiny slice of that, you're not getting the best. So let's let's unpack this a bit, because I like what you said. You said you have to create, you're, you're going to lose people. And it, it goes for CEOs, but it goes for anyone running a team. Yes. If you can't create a feeling that people belong. And in the, in the war for talent now, and with people's ability to shift jobs, I think if you can't do that, they're going to leave fast. So what is, you know, again, let's play this hypothetical situation. You're approached by a leader, might not be a CEO, maybe it's a, a VP. Uh, who's competing for talent, and he or she says to you, look, how, I, I've had high turnover. Uh, I haven't been able to create this feeling. We've had some exit interviews where people said, I just don't feel a connection to the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give them? How could they start communicating or acting in a way that would lead them to be able to knit people together? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, part of it depends on what, what the team looks like that you have today. Okay. So if it is, you know, fairly heavily skewed mm-hmm. to whatever it is, you know. Yeah, let's one, start with that scenario. What, yeah, I mean, if you're walking into a team where you are the odd odd person out, right. so to speak, that's harder, right? Because and I, and I think you have to discuss that with the person because it's certainly one of the challenges when, if you if we look ahead, let's just talk gender for a moment. If I look ahead and I can't see one senior woman ahead of me, that becomes very difficult to envision myself becoming that person. Um, and so if I'm going to go all in and work my butt off and you know do this all the same things that everyone around me is doing or more, but I feel that my chances and my odds are get, of getting to that next position are lower, um, and that's just from me looking around and making an assessment. Right. right? Every, so everybody does that. Right. They're all going to go. You say, can I see myself in that job? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, do people like me get there? Right. Right? And, and do I want to, is the person, and sometimes the person that is in that job is someone you, you can't really, you don't want to be that person either, right? Right. Because you want to be you. Right. And that's different. And, and so I think you have to call out, if you have one of those environments where mm-hmm. it's not very diverse, to say, we want to make this mm-hmm. diverse. We know it's not. So when mm-hmm. you look ahead, please know that we're committed to making sure that this this will change right. um, is sort of step number one. Mm. Um, and I think calling out behaviors from others is often part of the problem, right? It's sometimes you can have a great leader, but when they leave the room, what, how do people act then? Hmm. Uh, and, and that's the real challenge for, you know, a great leader uh, has people who continue to act the way that the leader has laid out that they would like them to act. But, right. um, you know, you can have cultures where uh, that's not happening, right. and I, I think that's one of the big problems today. Mm. Uh, you get the speech, and then pe- the leader leaves, and then nothing changes. Nothing yeah. really changes. Yeah. And it's really fascinating what you mentioned, where people can't see themselves in the role. We, we have a program called Visible Leadership for one of Canada's largest banks, which was uh, created in partnership with the Diversity Council to address that very reality that they have this incredible talent base, uh, often new Canadians, 
uh, visible minorities, and they, they would look at the bank's executive team and they say, I don't see myself there, or the people I see are not styles I want to replicate. Yeah. And so the program was about communicating to them that you don't have to be anyone other than yourself, and we are committed to addressing it, because it really, without that communication, <laughs> They're they're just thinking this is never going to happen. Yeah, you have to call it out. Mm -hmm. uh, if we if we ignore that, that's an elephant in the room that just will will right. we'll, all our diversity efforts will fail. Right. I think if we and, don't talk. And, about and it. it sounds like it's it's not something that leaders should be embarrassed about. They should say, look, we acknowledge it, mm -hmm. and we want to do something about it, yeah. even if it's not going to happen right away. And and I think you know when you commit to something like that, hopefully you're you know then going to deliver on it. Right. right. Um, you can only say that for so long. Right. There has um, to be some results. Yeah. Like yeah. if I think about gender diversity, I mean, we need to see a female CEO at a bank right. someday soon. Because uh, right. we've been working at this just, for a long time. Uh, yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. Right. And no one's going to no one's going to buy it anymore. Right. So tell me a bit about uh, at TFI, the work that you're doing that would support diversity and inclusion in uh, the financial services? Well, we do a lot of work around talent generally. Mm -hmm. Part of our, uh, you know, our mandate is to promote the financial sector globally in the Toronto Financial mm -hmm. Se Centre, but then domestically to focus on issues that go to the growth and competitiveness of the sector. And so talent is a key element. Every CEO would tell you that they're focused on talent and that there are talent gaps today, mm -hmm. whether that's attracting the best man management talent. Um, we have a huge issue around things like cybersecurity, tech talent, how do we get the best tech talent? It's all about innovation today in the financial right. sector, right? Right, and they're competing now, not just with the banks, but with the Amazons, the Googles, exactly. the Apples yeah. of the yeah. world. And so they need to get at that talent. So we have a lot of different initiatives to really advertise what kind of interesting, great jobs we have for those, that type of talent, STEM talent, right? Um, and trying to get you know a more diverse base in, so not mm -hmm. just recruiting at three, three business schools, mm -hmm. you know, our finance programs, let's go out and recruit more broadly. And so when we approach that, all of those efforts, if we have an event, if we uh, look at the pool of, you know, we have a program where we create work integrated learning opportunities, I want to make sure that what happens there is that we got diversity and we are getting diversity. We make sure as we look at the group, we go out to a broader array of schools. We make sure that from an ethnic cultural perspective, we have diversity from a gender perspective, we have diversity because I do think, you know, if we think um, one of the things that concerns me about, you know, the jobs of the future, let's mm -hmm. call them, is the ones know, that are still left yeah <laughs> after ones, the machines have their way with us <laughs> <laughs> i don't think robots are taking over the yeah. world but i do think that people do need to be more technically uh educated right. than, than in hence the, past, the stem right? focus and hence the stem mm -hmm. focus right not that we want you need both skills you need those soft skills too right. but you know tech uh technical capability is important mm -hmm. and unfortunately that's where we're not seeing as much progress if we look mm -hmm. at we've seen progress in science in terms of gender diversity but engineering um and and some of those you know computer science and things like that mm -hmm. the numbers aren't where we want and so if those are the you know, the pools of talent that are highly sought after, they get the best compensation, the right. best opportunities, that tells me that the jobs of the future, the best jobs of the future, are gonna be more highly skewed to men. Right. So actually, the problem could get worse, mm. not better. Because that, that 50 plus percent, or the 60% graduation rate in post-secondary, if we took STEM, <laughs> STEM is going to be a lot lower right yeah. now. Yeah. What is the, do you have the numbers on? Each department is different. Like if you think about med, uh, med school, for instance, mm -hmm. that's actually, that's good mm. uh, in terms of gender diversity. Engineering, I think it's around, depending on the school, call it 20 to 25%. Okay. Um, you know, things like computer science depends on the school, but right. again, but in low. and around mm. there and not going up. 
Hmm. So it's been stuck there for a while. It's been stuck there and declining in many cases. Right. So that's something we really need to think hard about is making sure that our, you know, that's looking very early on into the pipeline, mm -hmm. uh, attracting young women to these types right. of things. So we even have programs in high school where hmm. we try and make sure that we're highlighting these types of opportunities mm -hmm. so that everybody gets smart about them, right? right? And understands these are great jobs of the future and you should think about them. So is that the story when you look at the communication that, that's gonna cause young women to choose to enter these fields? What is the story you tell or what are the messages you deliver? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting. If I think about just capital markets, for mm -hmm. instance, uh, historically we would go out and say, well, you're gonna you know, work at the best institution, you're gonna make the most money, right. um, those types it's of the things. The A-team. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and I don't think that resonates mm -hmm. with women so much, and I don't even think it resonates generally mm -hmm. with young people today. They wanna focus on the value. What am I creating? Right. What does this add what's, to what's my life? What's the purpose life, in my life, the why? Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like just, you know, everybody likes a nice paycheck, but I think there needs to be, ironically, more to the right. story uh, for people. So I, I think, really having people understand in the financial sector what we actually do, that we actually, the capital that we provide builds businesses, hmm. which feed families. Uh, you know, tying it back to like, you know, or helps people retire right. comfortably, hmm. um, or helps people understand, you know, become financially literate and right. make intelligent decisions so that, you know, they have stability right. uh, in, in their lives from a financial perspective. Those types of stories mm -hmm. are far more interesting when you position it that way. Hmm far more interesting to people than um, just... Then you'll make a lot of money. You'll make a lot of money. And work a lot of hours. Now, but that would be, as you said, that's a story that's going to be compelling for young people of both genders Absolutely. today. Absolutely. How how you move the needle on getting that, you know, engineering enrollment from 20 to 30% or, you know, the, you know, computer science number up. What specifically do women, young women need to hear that are going to cause them to enter these fields that they haven't, that they've been underrepresented for so long? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I think, unfortunately, we see um, young women, it tends to happen around, um, as they enter the teenage years, mm -hmm. uh, lose their confidence hmm. around um, mass in particular. So I think we really need to tackle that and understand why is that happening? Is there a particular way we're teaching? Um, what do we need to do to make sure that that confidence is maintained? Right. Um, and women perform very well in school. In many cases, you know, the, the, the stats show that we're performing better. Well, I know in, in university, they say they, they outperform and they're overrepresented in grad schools. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And so if you think about all those women, what the, maybe they're going to med school or, you right. know, different types of sciences. So how do you attract them into those other ones where all the great jobs are? Not that there's anything wrong with med school, right. but, um, I, and I think that is about um, changing perceptions because mm -hmm. I think there is that bro culture within, mm -hmm. if you think about the tech sector, right? Absolutely. I'm reading a book right now uh, on Uber's rise and mm -hmm. semi-fall mm -hmm. <laughs> remains to be seen. But, you know, when you read about the, the culture, the bro culture, as they describe it, and the over, you know, misogyny and sexism that exists there, you can see why it is a turnoff. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so that's got to change. And I find it sort of ironic that, you know, an industry of innovation and you know, has managed to devolve to that. It's mm -hmm. pretty unfortunate, but right. it's unfortunately, I mean, it goes from, if you look at the boards uh, of these companies and I mean, they're, they're male dominated. They're male dominated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's from top to bottom. It, they've basically, right. you know, said, we don't care about this. Now I, I think, you know, they're, st they're starting to pay some attention yes. to this mm -hmm. uh, and try and fix that. But I think that is part of the problem too, mm -hmm. is again, if they, if they watch TV, what do they see? Right. 
because well, that's how they get their impressions. Well, you watch right? like Silicon Valley. Yes, I have seen that yeah, show. It's, all it's I mean, bros. <laughs> it's absolutely. I mean, it's funny, but they're making fun of themselves. But right. there, it is reality it is. Mm-hmm. at the same time. And so I think if if young women are seeing that, that's just not right. appealing at all. Just like if they watch Wolf of Wall Street, they're not going to start running right. the capital markets. Right. Right? Exactly. Um, so we need to be aware of that mm. within our organizations. And again, but it's not just about. Uh, you have to be very careful about going out and trying to recruit people on the basis that no you're not like that you're different it's not mm. going to be a bro culture it's going to be inclusive and then they get there and they're disappointed and, not, right. and i think that's happening a lot mm. today and that's that, when they check out <laughs> yeah is yeah they come in and then they look around and they go no thank you this isn't right. what i was sold right and go and try and find that mm. different environment where they feel more comfortable so really you know to kind of sum up a lot of things i'm hearing you know the first is that you know the talk has been happening but the action hasn't and it starts at the top in terms of leaders having to commit to saying we're going to put uh, people, uh, whether it's gender diversity or ethnic diversity, in roles that create uh, visible uh, paths to success for those who may not be represented. Mm-hmm. And then it's about measuring uh, at every level where you're at, not quotas but targets, so you can track where the gaps from promotions are. And then it's about calling people out on behavior. Uh, and not just the CEOs, but it sounds like everyone should be empowered to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think you find if you're tracking things, you'll find very quickly where those problem mm. areas are, um, and and where things are going wrong for certain right. reasons. So, um, and, and it is people have to recognize that it is hard. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's like pushing a rock uphill, right? Changing culture. You've been doing it for very difficult. Yes, a while. <laughs> I've been doing it for a while. Um, you know, and you have a success, and then it, you know, particularly if you think about this top echelons of uh, executive teams, sometimes I'll see an institution get to a point where Mm -hmm. they're at 30, 40%. You know, we'll see the improvement in the executive suite and all of a sudden you'll see three or four women out of the 10 or 12 and then fast forward five years and two or three are gone and they're back down. It just, you know, it's frustrating. Um, Forward then back. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So it it does, it takes tenacity. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Hmm. And um, that's that's tough in any organization to keep pushing something along that takes a long time to make progress. That's on. worth it's worth doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have two daughters and four sons too, yes. and I think that's the other thing that we haven't touched upon is that as we think about culture, and we we often uh, think it's all about, all about the babies, right? And so it's about motherhood, and that's mm-hmm. the problem for women why they can't get ahead, and all the rest of it. I, I think we need to make sure that it's also okay for men to be active parents mm-hmm. and from a cultural perspective. And it's not just mom leaving early to go to dentist appointments right. or hockey games and practices. It's, you know, certainly men are doing that as well. And, and I think that's certainly, I think men do want that. And I, Absolutely. even in the schoolyard that my Absolutely. children attend, I've seen the numbers change dramatically mm-hmm. of who's dropping off and picking up right. and at school plays and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got to make it okay for, mm-hmm. for both sexes to be parents. Absolutely. I think, you know, we at the Humphrey Group, we institute a parental leave policy. So it's not just you know mm-hmm. a, a maternity policy, it's either parent. And you have to really be behind both uh, genders taking ownership. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I think our policies from a government perspective should reflect that as well. Yes. Um, we, you know, we talk more about supporting women and mm-hmm. we do need to support women, but we also need to support men right. as well. So that the women can pursue their careers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It benefits both of us. <laughs> the, the last uh, thing I want to ask you about, you've given some great advice to, you know, executives, to leaders, what they can do. If there's someone listening who's not in a leadership position, uh, but who, whether they're a woman who wants to speak up to further this cause in their company or they're 
uh, a member of uh, a visible minority or they're in an underrepresented, whatever underrepresented group, and they want to speak up, what advice would you give them if they operate in a, a company where benignly or not, the culture and the representation is not yet what it needs to be? <laughs> well, I mean, I think my advice would be twofold. Um, I always think you have to take action. Um, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So you can't just complain about it. Um, get involved in some way, try to lead uh, action. Um, and it does, it's far more empowering to feel like you're trying to change things and make have a voice. And so, you know, maybe there's more support out there than you think. And if one person speaks up, you can start more of a wave there. Uh, so I firmly believe people should take the opportunity to try and not just give up. There are situations though where you're in the wrong place hmm. and it's just, it's not gonna work. Stop pushing the rock up the hill. Yeah, and, and, and you hill. need to find, that, find a more fertile ground right. for all of your efforts. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing your, your perspective on kind of two, decades of championing this cause and some progress, but obviously a lot more work to do and a lot more speaking up to be had. Absolutely. Yeah, and if people wanna learn about what you're doing at TFI, where can they go? Uh, they can go to our website, tfi.ca. Okay, thank you Great. so much, thank Jennifer, you. appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jennifer Reynolds and her insights into why we have not seen the progress we should and what it's going to take to bring about greater gender equity in leadership roles. I think you'll agree with me in that it makes too much sense for companies not to listen to her advice, to fill the pipeline, to advance women, and that ultimately we'll all reap the rewards for change. I hope you've enjoyed this season of the Inspire podcast. Season two continues in 2020. can't believe I'm saying 2020, where we go from the boardroom to the gridiron. I'm really fortunate to welcome as a guest for the first episode of next year, Mike Lombardi. Mike is a longtime football professional. He worked with the Oakland Raiders and uh, with the New England Patriots, working closely as an assistant general manager with Bill Belichick, possibly the greatest coach in football. And he joins me to talk about leadership in the NFL and why it's not so different than leadership in the boardroom. Have a great holiday and we'll see you in 2020.